so okay well I want to ask you questions about your relationship with Strike and Nona, but first, let's okay. get to the gossip. <laughs> yeah, right on, I know. Let's let people in on I what know. the f*** we're talking This gossip is another piece of gossip that came from a busybody. Hi, friends. I have some gossip that happened to me today that will forever be my favorite and most regretted misconnection opportunity. The misconnection? I know. It also says that he lives, or his work is swamp, that he went to the school of swamp, he's agnostic, and a 36-year-old straight white man, and that he's seven feet tall. Oh my God, swamp man, agnostic. She's like, okay, but we counted the toes. Like, there couldn't be three, two, three-toed, or two, three-toed <laughs> African greys. And so she, like, gets her husband up in the middle of the night and just like, go look at his feet again. Uh-huh. And the husband goes out and he counts one, two, three, and the fourth one is curled under. And then she says, something's going on and it's not I'm sure she never thinks. It's yeah. Her. <laughs> yeah, I yes, I got that. Sense it's never. Her <laughs> yes. But also, if you lock the door, what the hell are you worried about? Yeah, what are you? And why are you yelling at someone for jiggling the handle? You didn't answer. You just say someone's in here, occupied or whatever. <laughs> Babe Patrol. Babe Patrol, a podcast about small gossips, small to medium relationships, and big tangents. Tune in for season two of Bay Patrol out Tuesdays, wherever you get your pods. Bye. Bye. This past weekend, I attended a family wedding in central Indiana. Highlights included an absolutely panicked staff at the rehearsal dinner. Though my smothered chicken with mushroom sauce and mashed potatoes was mm, quite tasty. A DJ that played one of my song requests mere seconds after I wrote it down, and the photographer staring daggers at a pair of late arriving guests who walked across the aisle just as the procession was about to start. That look would haunt anybody, but luckily those guests didn't see it. I also ate copious amounts of desserts and snacks. I'm talking nothing bundt cakes, cookies, brownies, mini sausages, pretzels, chunks of cheese, nothing that you would classify as quote-unquote healthy or quote-unquote good for you. But they sure were delicious. Now, Betty Lou loves to travel and hike, yet when she found herself reaching for protein bars to satiate her hunger, she encountered more boredom than yumdom. So she made herself a lightweight snack that still tasted great, pulling inspiration from the markets she went to growing up in Singapore and other flavors around the world, and using colorful plant-based ingredients like okra, sweet potatoes, radishes, and shiitake mushrooms. And thus, Confetti Snacks was born. We're talking about the importance of upcycling imperfect produce, some of Betty's favorite travel destinations, and how Confetti Snacks uses humor to connect with shoppers. I'm Joey Held. This is Good People, Cool Things. And here's my conversation with Betty Lou of Confetti Snacks. Can you give us your name and your elevator pitch and then also the type of elevator that we're riding on? Yeah, so I'm Betty, the founder of Confetti Snacks. We are here to change the way uh, people snack and get more vegetables and fruits in their um, day-to-day snacking habits. Yeah, so uh, in a nutshell, you know, we are all for a zero waste and zero hunger world. And Confetti is all about celebrating the colors of the rainbow and getting 
the most delicious, tasty, and exciting snacks out there. The kind of elevator that we are in is is full of colors, and mm-hmm. it's very exciting, and it's uh, melded from and and inspired from different cultures of the world. From my research, I see, or I saw that confetti snacks was born out of you going on hikes, bringing protein bars with you, and just being sick of them. And you're like, I need another kind of snack. First of all, is that true? And secondly, was there like a specific moment? Like, did you take a bite? You were overlooking, you know, a beautiful lake or mountain or something like, was there that, that aha moment of like, I need something better. Or was it just kind of collectively over months or years of, of going out and having snacks that just kind of grew tired of? Yeah, I mean, the Eureka moment was uh, me hiking in British Columbia in Canada. Um, Yeah, I've been um, a huge nature lover and I really love exploring. You know, I've been to more than 50 countries and, um, you know, being an explorer and an adventurer, um, I find it really hard to to have something healthy that also tastes good. So you have, on one hand, potato chips that give me a sore throat. And on the other hand, you know, protein bars, a lot of them taste like chalk, chalk and, you know, paper cardboard and it's just not very inspiring so I just felt like you know um, you know carrying apples and vegetables up the mountain is really heavy and it's not good on your shoulders and the backpack so I thought like if I if there's any way for me to um, curate you know a perfect perfect line of snacks that I can actually bring up on my hiking trips and my camping uh, trips around the world I think that would be um, solving my own problem and also people can enjoy it as well so I started, you know, buying um, produce from the farmer's markets. Uh, I'm a huge foodie and I really enjoy uh, visiting bazaars and food markets around the world. Um, and I really miss the food in Singapore. You know, Singapore has such a strong, rich culinary heritage. You know, in fact, our street food is actually a UNESCO World Heritage um, designation point. We, we have so much, you know, a melting pot of different cultures from around the world in Singapore. So um, I started uh, dehydrating uh, vegetables that I found in Canada, um, seasoning them with recipes that I missed from home in Singapore. And uh, starting, I started to share that with my family and my friends and neighbours um, living near to me and everyone loved it. So that, that was when I decided that I should, you know, put a business plan together, um, you know, pitch some investors and see whether I can turn it into a company. So if you've been to food markets all across the world does singapore have the best ones or is there another one that stands out that you're like everyone should go visit when they're in that city uh i really i really love um the farmers markets in canada um and you know they also um the ones in new zealand and australia are also really good some of them have like trust box (laughs) in the sense that you know after the farmers market is over they leave the produce by the side of the road you know people can just buy it then you put your money in the box and they trust you that you won't steal the food (laughs) and it works for them you know it's, it's some weird reverse psychology way um, yeah, when they trust people to put money in and take the apples or strawberries, like people actually put money there and it, it works with a trust system. So, um, yeah, I think that, you know, North America, New Zealand, um, Europe, they all have very good farmers markets. And it's obviously really fun, you know, to haggle and negotiate with these farmers um, using a different language. And it really helps me to understand the local culture a lot better when you are in these local markets. Yeah, I, I was in Europe earlier this year and went to a few different food markets. I think the, the standout was probably the Naschmarkt in uh, Vienna in Austria. And the rows of just like radically different 
food styles and you know there'd be some different booths and vendors that would have the same products you know there's a lot of cheese a lot of olives which is what i kept getting offered like people would call out and they're like hey try some olives and i felt real bad going to this one booth and i'm looking at all the things and he just keeps giving me olives like different kinds of olives like this one stuffed with cheese like this one's got ham this is a kalamata olive all these things and i ate like six of them and then he's like oh can i get you like a huge bag of olives and i i was just like i don't like olives that much i'm sorry <laughs> And he seemed, he seemed so crushed that he invested all this time. And I was like, I thought you were going to offer other things besides just olives. But that whole experience still was uh, was super great. Uh, maybe not for him, but I, I really enjoyed it. And I um, got to try things that I probably wouldn't have come across otherwise. Yes. And yeah, I, I can imagine, you know, when I go to different um, countries and the markets, they have all kinds of unique things. You know, I spent last Christmas in Bavaria, which is... Um, the 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 home ground of BMW and you know even the Christmas markets there I've seen things that I've never seen in my life before you know confectionery the way they make candy or chocolate or snacks and everyone has their own um, snacking culture and you know borrowing those flavors are great inspiration and a good you know breeding ground for even more new ideas and creativity yeah, and you know, even you know, when I spoke to you earlier, you know, where your base is, Austin, I was there really enjoying different uh, types of barbecues. You're so famous for the barbecues there, yes. and you know, I can borrow like the different Texan barbecue recipes and infuse them into our line of gourmet veggie chips as well. You know, so different, even different vegetables have their own subtle flavor profiles and their own natural sweetness. And they pair well with different types of recipes. So yeah, having the adventure around the world is very helpful to, to really um, uh, glean more ideas from it. And then it really helps the whole creative process. I think one of the things that I enjoy doing, I don't do it enough, I don't think, but is just kind of taking ingredients I have around the house and putting them together in like a sauce or a marinade and just kind of seeing how it turns out. Sometimes it's disastrous. Sometimes it's great. And I'm like, lovely, I'm going to make this again. So have you had any sort of flavor combinations where you thought it was going to be great, but it just didn't work for whatever reason? I have a, a pretty uh, refined palate. You know, I'm, I'm actually a super taster. It's a lab Ooh. test that you do. And it is one in four people in this world who have that. So they are usually employed for like the nose for perfumers or, um, you know, as chefs or um, flavor technologists. And uh, yeah, I, I really usually have a good intuition and we work with, um, you know, a team of really brilliant chefs, PhD food scientists um, and technologists um, to, to create the most delicious and nutrient-dense snacks. So, you know, we try to find things that actually work on a plate already. So, for example, if I'm doing an Alaska-inspired snack, you know, I would do maybe like crunchy baby asparagus with like um, crunchy sea scallops doused in a truffle cream sauce. Like I would know that, that that combination works because it works well on a plate. Therefore, it should work well in a snack bank. Um, yeah, you know, we have tried other stuff uh, which are more crazy, like, you know, crunchy star fruit with um, edible go and flowers. We, we can try something like, you know, crunchy kale chips with satay sauce and edible flowers. You know, things that really wow people and astonish people. Like, the only way we can steal the audience from, you know, potato chips is to make our chips really, really tasty. It tastes better, it looks better, it's more fun to eat, and it's a lot more colourful. It should be an experience, and it should be, like, that culinary um, adventure for people to travel around the world. 
uh, without having to go on the plane. Yeah, so um, I think most of the flavor combos work well. I, I would say just like to be sensitive to different demographics. You know, we, we try not to use really, really polarizing flavors like, you know, Sichuan Mala, which actually um, makes your, you know, it's so spicy that you can't feel your taste buds anymore. And that's too polarizing for children. And because we sell to families, you know, we need to be, um, you know, easily... Um, adaptable to adults and children so if it's too spicy or too sour or too tart you know it might be a huge turn off for children and we want to kind of have it include everyone and let the whole family enjoy this be it young or old so we need to be quite sensitive to that yeah so i think the only polarizing ones that we got are flavors that are overly spicy but for now you know we kind of make make it um a really nice uh, compromising ground where it is very flavorsome, a lot of flavor depth. We tend to prioritize flavors from Southeast Asia, you know, like Thai green curry or tandoori curry. The complexity of the flavors are very strong. You know, they use so many different herbs and spices. You can taste top, middle and base notes. And then on top of that, the the, the creaminess of, you know, coconut cream. Uh, to really infuse into the vegetables and really bring out the best in the vegetables that we use. I love it. And as a, I grew up in Chicago. So as a Midwesterner, I appreciate the nod to not making things too spicy. I still remember one of the first meals I had here was a home cooked meal. And uh, the wife of the, the couple asked, how are you with spicy foods? And my experience had basically been Chicago spicy food. So I said, yeah, I don't mind it. And two bites into that meal, I was tapping out. <laughs> it was it was a rough experience, so I, I appreciate that you're you're kinder to people's palates. Yeah, I want people to enjoy their veggies, and yeah, it's really important that you know everyone can really enjoy it. Uh, yeah, and Chicago, you know, um, has such a strong food culture. There are so many diverse cultures there. You know, likewise for San Francisco and New York City, um, and you know, for it to be truly American, you know, we need to really adopt the authentic cultures and the culinary heritage from that culture. You know, in, in Manhattan alone, there are like 800 languages being spoken and everyone comes from somewhere in some generation. And to, to really be able to celebrate that diversity is important to us as a snack company. You've moved from, hey, I wanted to make something to upgrade my snack game to now a successful business. What's something that surprised you about running your company? A lot of surprises. I'm still getting more every day. <laughs> um, it's, I think every founder knows that you are the chief firefighter of the company. You, you are like chief firefighting officer. Every day is a, a different surprise. And um, yeah, I mean, we had a roller coaster. It's, it's very emotional, right? Because you, you are creating a baby and um, you want it to live through and so so at the start, you know, I had to go down to every buyer's office, pitch every supermarket buyer, learn everything from scratch. You know, this is something my business professors didn't teach me in university. You know, ha having something on a textbook and in the real world is two different dynamic. And being able to sell through, I think the art of selling and persuasion is probably the most important skills that I, I felt was relevant. Um, I needed to practice that on the ground and get my hands dirty and have you know, doors thrown on my face and get a lot of rejections to really, you know, make as many mistakes as possible at the start in order to find a balance that you, you can perfect the art of selling and form that kind of relationship with the buyers. You know, we, we evolved to about 
and, and scaled it in, in most of the supermarkets in Singapore. And we scaled to about 2,000 stores now in US and got it you know, nationwide in accounts like uh, airlines to airports to 7-Eleven to gas stations and supermarket chains. Um, and all, all those, uh, it, it's a very, very <laughs> steep learning curve because you are kind of thrown in the deep end of the pool and then you are forced to swim. You know, it's like you either swim or you die or you drown. <laughs> so you don't really have a choice. And, you know, things can really materialize in a in a really miraculous way when your your back is against the wall and you have no choice but to fight or die um and you either fly or you or you crash and burn and you know every every founder has that moment and um i think the learning curve is really steep but i think that one thing that really helps a lot is to have a very strong brand and people who know how to build a brand because the you know winning on the brand and the aesthetic of something um, and that moment of truth when someone walks past a supermarket shelf in nanoseconds to decide whether they should buy your product or not. If you have won them in those nanoseconds, uh, you have already won half the battle. So having a, sh- a strong marketer and a strong you know, creative director who really knows what they are doing uh, to create you know, packaging and a brand story that resonates with the consumers very quickly um, is half the battle won. And that, that took <laughs> a, a really um, hard time to find, you know, a team of people who knows how to do that and to execute really well on the on the shelves. And I think too, one of the things that I noticed is on your website, the FAQ has a lot of uh, humor to it, which I think, I, I think an FAQ section is like a really good opportunity to showcase the brand to people who have taken the time to visit the website, you know? And I, I think obviously humor is a very subjective sort of thing, but I think showcasing that side of you is something that not a lot of brands do or are starting to do it, or it's like, you know, they're trying to be extra snarky or like pithy, but like, you know, one of the questions is like, what can you pair your snacks with? And you say, we could write a book about what to pair snacks with. In fact, we probably should. And the snacks are so addictive in part because you're blessing them with a dance while you're listening to I Want It That Way by the Backstreet Boys. And I, I think that's a nice way to take like what could be kind of a dry and boring section of just like, oh yeah, our snacks are available here. Like they go well with wine or whatever, you know, whatever the case may be and, and elevating that a little bit. So was that something that you always wanted or is that part of what you were talking about of having a, a strong marketing team and, and sort of creative direction behind turning that into a more engaging area of the website? Yeah, I, I think it's a great question. I mean, in the sense that the best brands in the world are emotional. You know, it's not a commodity. Like Coke doesn't sell soda, they sell happiness. You know, Nike sells aspiration with just do it. You know, we are not buying a shoe here, we are buying the aspiration. And like the best brands connect emotionally with the consumer. And um, I think humor is a great way. You know, wit humor are great ways. Because if you are managing to make the consumer feel something, beyond their ordinary day-to-day life and you are you are creating that magic and that spark for that few seconds in their day to cheer them up you know that that magical moment even if you just manage to make them smile for for a few seconds that is emotional connection you know that's the entire brand equity and it's really important to um, connect to them in an emotional way um, I really hate brands that pe- preach to you or talk down to the consumer. You know, consumers are not dumb. They're intelligent. They have their own identity and they have, they are well-traveled. You know, they, 
they have their own opinions in life and it's very important to talk to them in the same level and like like a friend but not not like a lecturer lecturing them and telling and preaching to them and telling what they should do you know i think one of my favorite brands is uh oatly and you know innocent juices they poke fun at themselves you know they make they make the ceo dress up in a cow suit you know they they mock cows all the time and they are not trying to tell you that you know vegan milk is saving the planet because you know cows release a lot of methane gases it's not like a a scientific lecture where they are look they are talking down to the consumer and telling them what they should or should not do i mean consumers can make their own opinions they they can form their own perceptions and they are intelligent enough to come up with their own conclusions you know they don't need a brand to talk down to them or to lecture to them you know it's more important to engage the consumer like a friend on the same level and i think that you know humor is a great way to do that and it's very important to not uh, take things seriously because um the authenticity of a brand really emerges through when we, we don't take ourselves so seriously. <laughs> and, you know, consumers want to have a, a brand that's playful and they can relate to. And it's very hard to relate to a brand that is overly serious. I like kind of the more uh, like quirky and irreverent sort of humor, but I feel like Wendy's probably started this trend and Duolingo has certainly continued it of like the unhinged brand. Uh, which I would say is not a great strategy for most brands, but I I feel like that's where a lot of them are going to. And I think that backs up your point of how people want a brand that's not taking itself super seriously and you know is more playful and can make them smile and laugh. The approach that you're taking is, I'd say, less likely to go wrong than, than some of these unhinged ones, because I think you could very easily go from like oh i'm i'm being playful to like insulting or you know turning off the customer from from wanting to come back and interact with your brand and things like that and so i think that's a a very fine line to toe and to your point having a good team that knows what they're doing is is so important for that uh yes absolutely uh, and we invite in, invented more names as well and it's really fun you know be, below every um <laughs> A uh, packet is actually a joke. You know how you open up a Snapple bottle and then underneath the cap, there's a joke or a riddle, right? So mm -hmm. for us, it's the same. You know, underneath every confetti bag, there's a joke about vegetables. And me and my creative director, Michael, who is a, really is a creative genius, you know, we spend hours, you know, snickering over what should what what kind of jokes we have. You know, we have so many jokes now and it's, it's, um, it's incredibly fun to work with a, a team who actually has a sense of humor and we try our best to create moments you know life is, is difficult on its own already and you know painful and there's so many tragedies that happen i mean if we can be that sliver of sunshine just for a few seconds in someone's day you know i think you know that that would have served our purpose yeah so we, we are actually working on a, a disney project now with a really famous mouse um <laughs> and you know <laughs> you know even for our truffle flavor with mickey you know, we we have fun fun names like, you know, Truffly Ever After. You know, it's like a Disney movie. And we try to make it interesting and funny. So um it, it engages in a very subtle way. Um a lot of brands do that, but in a very subtle way. And it's difficult to create a brand. You know, there are so many nuances, so many ways people can interpret messaging and positioning. And it's kind of like every single touch point that we have with the consumer, you know, let's make it fun, exciting, playful. And we are, we're having a lot of fun engaging um, with the consumers uh, with that philosophy.
Well, the mouse collaboration is very exciting, but Betty, frequent listeners of this podcast know that every episode ends with a corny joke. So I think we're going to need to hear one of the jokes that people can find in a bag. Uh, why did the farmer throw away the ugly mushrooms? I don't know. Because he has no morals. <laughs> like <laughs> M-O-R-E-L-S. So it's like moral is a species of um, mushrooms. Yeah. So we have a lot of veggie puns. And yeah, whenever Michael and I <laughs> share jokes, you know, the whole, you can feel the whole room turn cold. <laughs> yeah, but and crickets, you know. Uh, but but you know it's 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 been fun uh, ideating that and we want to keep it really playful um and more importantly um you know we have very serious messages behind it right in in the sense that we are upcycling snacks we are trying to fight food waste we are trying to get millions of consumers to eat uh, more vegetables in their day and to end hunger by elevating um uh, hunger with our um, part of our top line and these serious messages will fall flat if it's delivered in a very serious way. You know, it's more fun to <laughs> um, play around with it and, you know, um, present it in a, in a witty way because uh, we feel like it's more effective that way to reach the end consumer. We've kind of talked about some of the the branding and uh, marketing that you've found has worked well. Has there been anything that you've tried that really hasn't whether it was a particular platform or or uh, a partnership or some you know some campaign that you ran where it just it didn't perform as well as you expected you know the the reach is very important so for example uh we, we did a campaign which was sponsored by fable castle um uh during the pandemic you know we noticed that everyone was cooped up at home they couldn't leave the house because of social distancing and yeah, it was like a lot of people were suffering with mental health as well as um, not really taking care of themselves. I'm not sure if you know, but obesity rates actually went up during the pandemic because everyone was just cooped up at home. They were feeling quite depressed and they just didn't really want to move around too much. Mm -hmm. So we did that campaign with Fable Castle um, and got people to colour their fruits and veggies. So we had like different mandalas and veggies and fruit for people to colour in a very aesthetic way on postcards. And we invited them to enter a colouring competition. And, you know, they could win attractive prizes um, uh, from from Confetti as well as Fable Castle. And that was quite an effective campaign. But because the geography in Singapore was quite small, you know, um, and people weren't really allowed to go to the supermarkets, they, you know, um, a lot of things was under lockdown. <laughs> so um, we had to pivot that. And we found that, you know, because people couldn't collect the colouring postcards in the supermarket, we, we needed to find a way for them to download it from our website you know, um, digitally print it out from their home and and color it uh, at their home. So uh, in the pandemic, I think it forced a lot of businesses um, to relook the way that they operate and they deliver and reach out to their consumers. So I think that that was a campaign that, you know, we got a lot of entries and a lot of uh, thank you notes from parents uh, really thanking us for, wow, you know, it's such a nightmare to be trapped in my my home with my kids because um, usually they, they get a breather when they send their kids to school. But now they are trapped in for, you know, months at a time with their kids and the, the parents were getting burnt out as well. So they were really thanking us because it gave them some, their kids something to do for a few hours every day, you know, just coloring our postcards. And that was something fun for the family. Yeah, so I would say that that's a good campaign, you know. Um, but at the same time, the the rich could have been better if uh, everyone was allowed to go out to shop. 
I can't even imagine having children like at home during the pandemic. It just uh, kudos to those those parents and those teachers who were teaching remotely is very impressive work. A question that I always like to ask, I say because it's less work for me, is having you come up with a question, which is a question you wish you were asked more frequently. And I feel like we've maybe touched on this a little bit throughout the conversation, but what inspires you? Yeah, I um, I think what really inspires me is uh, travel. Um, and, you know, to be thrown in a completely different environment where you don't understand the language. Or, you know, I, I've moved, I've migrated here to US now from Singapore. And it's something that is so different from where I grew up in. You know, um, in Singapore, the whole culture is different from US. I learn a lot. And when I'm thrown into uncomfortable situations or places where it's foreign to me, it feels very exotic and actually it triggers something in my mind to want to create more. You know, when you absorb all these beautiful landscapes and cultures and people and friendships, it kind of um, makes you want to pay tribute back to the world and deliver something um, beautiful so that you can benefit other people as well. And I feel like travel is the best form of inspiration. And I want to, <laughs> like if I can live a nomadic existence for the rest of my life, I think I'll be the happiest person on in the world. You know, <laughs> I, I, I want to continue doing that. Life is too short. You know, I, I feel like there's more places in the world that I will ever have time in my lifetime to see. And I just want to experience as much as I can. Um, yeah, so that that is really inspiring to try the different foods, you know, to, to, to speak with different people and, you know, hear their worldviews. Um, to experience the different culinary culture of the world and have that feed into my works and my creations. I think that is, is going to be very exciting. I love it. And that might segue nicely into our top three of trends that will change the world. Uh, yeah, so I, I feel like the top three trends that will change the world, I think first is you know, the rise of travelpreneurs. <laughs> I, I look at myself as a travelpreneur in the sense that I'm a traveling entrepreneur. And I do feel like in this age, you know, like my friend said, you know, we are the billion, do billion dollar baby generation. Like we have every single resource in our hand. We have the internet in our fingertips. We have so much resources um, that are so easily available to us for us to create billion dollar brands. And I do feel like people are going to start to notice that the world is becoming smaller and you can travel more easily, you can have access to information so easily, you know, it would allow people to create on the go. And I do feel like that would be one of the trends. There'll be more and more people who just want to get out of the red race. They are no longer content working for someone and being a cog in the system. They will want to create their own thing with their own hands and that they will find meaning in that. So, you know, people, at least in my millennial generation and probably yours, you, you look pretty young to me. But but in my in our generation, we love traveling. You know, we will die if we don't travel. It's like that feeds our soul in some intangible way. And I do feel like there'll be a rise of people who want to start their own projects. They're going to travel more and they're going to start, you know, having that nomadic existence as a, a new black, it's a new normal. And that's the first trend. I think the second trend would be really like upcycling. You know, wh why is one third of edible produce um, thrown away every year while 9 million people starve to death? Like, it doesn't make sense. There's something in our supply chain that is broken right now. You know, um, we produce so much produce and they decay within one week. And if no one is going to upcycle them to something else, they are wasted. They contribute to 12% of uh, human-caused greenhouse emissions when they decay in the landfill. You know, if we can use 
business as a force for good and you know take all these perishable fruits and veggies you know before they get wasted because of aesthetic reasons or due to them being ugly or due to a crop surplus you know if we can take that moment of freshness upcycle them to a snack or upcycle them to a food that can last for one to two years uh, we are not only protecting food security but we are also um, elevating food to its highest and best use and in that way you know consumers will get um, a snack that is not only delicious but it's better for them and for the planet you know we are solving real problems in the world you know resolving and elevating hunger we are elevating malnutrition by providing a healthy snack and we are also resolving a food waste pandemic that's going on right now and repairing something broken in the food supply chain and I think that there's a huge rise now. There's a lot of media spotlight on upcycling. You know, Michelin star restaurants have started using food scraps. You know, like you mentioned, right? You get creative in your kitchen by using different marinades and seeing what they pair with other stuff. You know, in the same light, Michelin uh, chefs have also used like whatever food waste or scraps that they have used like vegetable peeling. Can I make it into something gourmet? Can I make it into something artisanal? Can I completely blow my consumer's mind by creating something that, wow, at first I would throw this out but now I've upcycled them to something useful and it's delicious and beautiful and I think that um, there's a lot of media attention and um, publicity on, on that issue right now so I think that consumers are going to start demanding more upcycled products you know be it in beauty or in cosmetics or fashion or food and I think that's like a second big trend that I'm observing now uh, that I think would change the world <laughs> and I hope it does and then I think the last one would definitely be um, yeah I think sustainable brands are very important like people don't want to feel guilty with their purchases as people are more uh, they travel more now they are more educated you know they are very conscious about the choices that they make I can go into like Whole Foods uh, in San Francisco and I noticed that people bring their own recycling bag you know they are not using any plastic bags anymore they they are taking active decisions and being super conscious about what they purchase what they consume what they um what they spend on um in fact <laughs> i don't know whether it's like um different states have different ways of being you know i was in yellowstone wyoming last month and I noticed that everyone, you know, really loved their gasoline cars and their Harley Davidson and whatever burns the most gas, the better for them. Uh, and they eat a lot of meat, right? I mean, it's a cultural thing maybe. But when I get to like the East and West Coast, like, you know, I'm in San Francisco now. I, I noticed that almost every car I see, you know, is a Tesla or it's an electric car. Like people actually charge their cars overnight. They are more conscientious about the environment and the whole vegan veganism and plant-based trend is huge here. It's really explosive in the East and West Coast. So I think that culturally, um, there's more attention on sustainable brands and people really are more fussy about what they consume. And I think that, that sustainable brands would really take over the future of CPG and you know consumer products and i can i can't wait for this to really explode so that we can we can be really gentle on the environment while we are creating um a company yeah i was just in a tesla a couple weeks ago for the first time and i one of the the other people who was in the car had owned one for a few years and i just remember he spent i mean he spent probably like an hour going through all the different features of it uh for the person who actually owned the car uh, but because I'm the tallest, I was sitting in the front. So it felt like he was teaching me all about the different features of the Tesla. And he, he spent a good 15 minutes just pointing out 
how frequent the charging stations are in California. <laughs> and I was just like, this information is not helpful to me since I don't own a Tesla right now. And I don't live in California, but I appreciate you going into such depths. And here it is coming to light on this podcast. So maybe it was a good thing that he taught me uh, just how many ways you can charge your car in California, no matter where you are, there's a station for you. Yeah, and I think it's really exciting. I mean, the first time I was in a Tesla, my friend was telling me, hey, Betty, like, look at my hands. I'm not driving it. It's driving itself. And I'm like, wow, thanks so much. It's so assuring to know that. Oh, it's a, it's a little scary. Yeah, the no, the no hands. I'm just like, I I don't know. I felt I felt on edge the entire time. Uh, maybe, maybe the more you do it, the more you get used to it. But I just remember seeing some scooterists on the side. There's Scooters are a pretty big thing in Austin, probably in a lot of cities too. But I, especially out here, I just feel like with the scooters, the car just did not know what to do. It like, it was like, I don't know where you're going. You don't know where I'm going. Let me just aggressively break in the middle of a turn. And I just, I was like, no, I'm like, let's keep our hands on the wheel while I'm in the car and then you can play around. Um, I think it's the way of the future. Like even in travel, right? I love paragliding, which is like you run off a cliff and then it opens up. And, you know, I think that even for the travel industry or hobbies, you know, the, the less impact you have on the environment, the better. And um, it is also getting you closer to um, to touch nature in a completely different light. So in the sense that when I paraglide, you feel like a bird and you have no motor attached with you. If you do like, like uh, motorized paragliding, you have an engine strap on your back and it's very noisy and it's also scaring all the birds away. Whereas where you, when you run off the cliff and it's just a wing and the canopy opens and you can glide in the air like a bird for seven hours and you overlook the Bay Area, it's really, really stunning. You can see, you know, falcons and eagles looking at you, meet there. You can see dolphins in the ocean. You can see whales. Um, and that experience is really magical. If you haven't tried paragliding before, please, I, I urge you to. It's the most beautiful um, experience that you can ever have in this in this life and I do feel like in those moments you know it's a classic example of sustainable travel in the sense that you are gliding for many many miles for several hours in the sky you're not polluting the environment the only kinetic energy is generated by your legs but at the same time it's so quiet it's that moment of peace and magic where you can't hear any single thing you know you're just immersed in nature for that moment and the, the world is it's just like surrounding you and it's it's beautiful, it's peaceful. And precisely because you're not hurting the environment with having this like really, really noisy helicopter noise or motor behind you, you know, and that is like a win-win situation for both the traveler and also for the environment. And I think that there'll be more and more um, ways to sustainably travel. I like it. I don't think I have been paragliding. I've done I've done a lot in nature, but I don't think I don't think paragliding is on that list. So I gotta add it as something to do. Yeah, and even and anything that's powered by you, right? Like even kayaking or cycling or hiking or paragliding, I think that um maybe m hopefully more more and more travel agencies are gonna let people just do self guided tours like that, you know. And yeah, hopefully it will benefit people like me who just uh yeah. I think the authentic way to really see a place is not really like you know to travel very very fast and just go from airport to airport i think really to understand a place really well is to travel really slowly and as sustainably as possible without any carbon footprint i think like the slower we travel i think the more we can really immerse in a culture i agree wholeheartedly well betty this has been so much fun if people want to learn more about you more about confetti snacks where can they find you 
The easiest way is to go on confettisnacks.com. You know, we ship all over to any zip code in US and Canada. We are also in um, uh, about a thousand stores in Home Goods and in about two thousand uh, specialty stores and gourmet retailers across the country. Yeah, so you know, we are just one percent there, and you know, there's still a lot more. Uh, a lot more in this journey to go. So we are very, very excited to scale into more stores in the coming years. And yeah, look forward to really exploding and sprinkling confetti everywhere, uh, pun intended. Mm-hmm. And, you know, getting people to enjoy fruits and veggies and the colors of the rainbow and to snack healthier without compromising on taste. I love it. Well, Betty, thank you again. This is so much fun. Thanks so much, Joey. Thanks for having me. Of course. And like I promised, we end with a corny joke. Maybe you can even throw this on a bag in the future, but we'll see. What kind of trees can you find snacks in? I don't know. Christmas trees? Pantries. Get after it today, people. (laughs) Oh, yes. Yeah. Good People, Cool Things is produced in Austin, Texas. If you were a fan of this episode, go ahead and hit that follow button. That helps more people hear the show. You can send me a message, joey at goodpeoplecoolthings.com. Com. Thank you to all of the guests who have been on Good People, Cool Things. You can check out all the old episodes via goodpeoplecoolthings.com. As always, thank you for listening and have a wonderful day. Ooh.